Today's episode of the Quiet Mind Astrology Podcast is brought to you by the Quiet Mind Guide to the Planets. And this is actually the guide and overview for this episode that I'm going to be walking through that you can get at quietmind.yoga astrology. Totally free. And it's basically like the overview of everything that I talked about for this whole second season of Quiet Mind Astrology Podcast, talking about all the planets what they mean, what are the grahas, the Sanskrit word for planets, and the lessons of each planet, the positive and negative expressions of each planet. Right, So you're going to definitely want this guide if you want to understand how to work with these planets for yourself in your own chart and how to better understand the people in your life. So go to quietmind.yoga astrology to get this free guide and follow along with this episode because there's little boxes you can fill out to remember these things, to implement these things yourself and begin to understand your own uh, sun, moon, Mercury sign, Mars, all the planets in your chart and know where they're at and how they're affecting you and better understand where they're at in your friends, your spouse's charts, uh, your peers, uh, people that you might want to study, right? So it's really cool to understand this, really essential, really essential to astrology. Uh, so quietmind.yoga slash astrology, you can get this free guide and follow along with today's episode. My name is Jeremy Devins and this is the Quiet Mind Astrology Podcast. I've been studying astrology pretty much my whole life and Vedic astrology in depth since 2011. I find it to be incredibly helpful, one of the most valuable skills to understand myself, to understand others, and in this podcast I'll share what I've learned, how to interpret charts, and how you can go from understanding your chart to improving your health, your relationships, your career, all aspects of your life are covered and acknowledged and addressed through Vedic astrology. I'll also show you meditations and yoga practices and things that you can do to support the most positive expression of these qualities in your life and avoid and work around the challenges and possible negative expressions of these planetary energies. If you like this podcast, you can support it by becoming a monthly supporter at as low as 99 cents a month up to $9.99 a month. Click the link in the episode description to do that or visit quietmind.yoga slash astrology where you can learn more about Vedic astrology and download the free workbook, The Essential Astrology Keywords to Quickly Read a Birth Chart. So you'll want that so you can look at your own rising sign, sun sign, and moon sign and see how that would play out in different signs and what signs you have and understand how to read charts for other people. Again, you can get that at quietmind.yoga slash astrology or check out the show notes. All right, thank you for listening and enjoy today's podcast. Alright, so whether you've listened to all of the episodes of Season 2 or you're just starting here, it's actually a good place to start and then go back and review. Uh, I'm going to talk about all of the nine celestial bodies of Vedic astrology and then actually add on the outer bodies, the three outer planets uh, that are more recent discoveries of astronomy uh, and how that fits into all this. All right, so talking about the nine planets, and if you just look at page two of the PDF guide, again, quietmind.yoga astrology to get that free guide. I'm actually just going to go through the pages here with you. So page two, and if you're driving, totally fine. You can check this out later. But if you can bring it up, I'll walk through, through this with you. So 
Vedic astrology recognizes the five planets that are visible to the naked eye. These are in order from the Sun, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. So those are all the things, the planets we can see from the naked eye. And then there's the two luminaries, the Sun and the Moon. And then we recognize the north and south node of the moon. This is Rahu at the north node, Ketu at the south node. Rahu is like the head that's insatiable of a body that is Ketu. So they're detached. Uh, the head was severed uh, for its transgressions. And K Rahu is the head that goes around always wanting more. Ketu is the body that's detached and more interested in the spiritual realms. These are the nine Grahas. What is Graha? I'll explain that in just a minute. But this does not, in traditional Vedic astrology, they did not recognize the outer planets. Though there are some texts that seem to recognize three outer stars, but you know it's kind of a little controversial thing uh, in the old text. But there is a belief that they knew about them, but they didn't actually teach about them because they are so far out and slow, so slow moving that they don't affect our day-to-day -day lives and don't, we don't see the impact as clearly. But I would say personally in what I've looked at in charts and what I've seen myself that uh, you can see a definite effect, especially over generations of people. I mean, you're looking at generations of people. Uh, you can see the effects of Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto, these three outer bodies. Uh, they're invisible to the naked eye. So they said that they have their effects are less personal and more generational. Uh, but some modern astrologers do factor them in, and I've experimented with it, and I think it's helpful to look at those. And if you don't like the stuff I talk about those, you just skip it, right? So you stay with the more traditional approach. So this third page is all about what is graha, right? So the Sanskrit word for planet is graha, which means to seize, grab, or hold. And each graha is said to grab a quality. For example, Mars grabs weapons, Mercury grabs communication, and so on until everything is grabbed up by the Grahas and the planets represent all aspects of ourselves. And again, this is where we don't need the three outer bodies because everything that they represent is uh, divvied up among the other planets. So there are other uh, ways to sort of... Um, to quantify and, and measure like what affects like uh, the subconscious or the psyche, things like that that are represented by like Pluto, for example, right? So there's other ways to see these things with the inner bodies of the planets. And if you go to page four is where you see, this is real, the real meat of today's episode where you see uh, a spreadsheet there. The top line are the nine grahas. And I've just stuck with the uh, Vedic astrology planets partially because of space, because to fit on this, uh, this uh, rectangle horizontal landscape view, uh, it would have been too much to try to fit three more boxes in there. Uh, but you can do those for yourself. You can go back to those episodes and get the same ideas. But I'm gonna talk about the lessons of each planet, the positive expression and the negative expression of each planet, right? So I'll just skip ahead. Before we get into that, just the next page, I wrote a little bit about how I believe this all works based on my research and my own like inner work and uh, exploration of this work, which is essentially uh, like understanding how uh, if you look at the moon and how it affects the tides and the water on planet Earth, it obviously has a definite impact on us uh, and, and we see it uh, in the tides most visibly, but we're also comprised mostly of water as human beings. so. 
this is where I start to expound on that and say, like, obviously, there must be some sort of effect of that pull of the tides, that pull of the moon on the water in our bodies. And that's where uh, it, we start to understand in Vedic astrology that the water, the, uh, the moon affects our emotions. These sort of tides go in, tides go out. There's constant change and fluctuations, ups and downs and constant movement because the moon is going through a new sign every two and a half days. So that constant movement is going to change our mood quite significantly and uh, change the, the water in our body. It's going to affect the water in our bodies quite significantly. And going, expounding on that from there, right? So this isn't the most scientific approach, but this, when you start to read charts and you start to see the amazing, unbelievable coincidences of charts and how it shows up for people, uh, this is the best explanation I've found for how this might work. And you look at the moon, you see how that affects us. So obviously maybe there's some effect of the sun as well. And likewise for Mercury and Venus. And these things start to become more subtle and energetic and less uh, concrete like the tides of the ocean. But that's my sort of understanding of how this all works. So hopefully that's helpful for you for understanding it. Uh, but one way, like one of my teachers would say, is like the planets are like actors and the constellations sort of set the stage and then the actors come in like mars comes into your first house so it comes into the stage of your identity yourself and just who you are and your expression uh then this this actor of mars this warrior comes in there so you're going to have like these warrior kind of qualities very very active and athletic and into like all these sort of uh, maybe martial arts things like that all these sort of mars qualities Right, so just a brief, brief overview of all that. And now we'll go back to page four. And again, if you're just listening, totally fine. But if you want to start filling in these boxes, uh, this is a great way to memorize things, to actually write it down and, and maybe even uh, expound your own interpretations. You know, you, you don't want to go too far down that road because, you know, what I'm sharing is from my teachers and their teachers and this unbroken chain of teachers of Vedic astrology for thousands of years. Uh, but we are always learning. I'm always learning things. I'm always getting new perspective on things. And uh, the meanings of these signs are actually evolving over time because we didn't have, for example, IT jobs 60 years ago. You know, the, the world is evolving. So where does IT fit into this? It's, it's a little obvious at first, you know, if you, if you know this stuff a little bit, it goes into Mercury because that's where communication and, and fast moving happens. That, that makes sense for IT. Uh, so things like that. So as things evolve over time, right, we've got to sort of evolve the meanings of these things over time as well. But all that to say, let's dig into the sun, the lessons of the sun, that first box in the top left corner. So the sun teaches us how to relate to power and authority. And in some of the men's work I've done working with archetypes and the king being one of those archetypes, the sun represents the king. And if we battle authority in our lives, if we try to take down other people's authority and power, and this is you know some work that I've done in myself of realizing that my sort of disdain for other people's power is actually my own disdain for my own power. Right, because we project what we don't want to look at in ourselves, as I talked about in previous episodes, that Carl Jung's teachings about the shadow. So, what the sun teaches us is to establish a relationship to authority. Now, I'm not saying you blindly follow some authority you don't believe in and you don't value. I'm saying you find the authority, the leadership, the guidance, the sort of 
kingship, whatever that means to you, maybe some sort of teacher or guide, or if it could be your father, uh, a paternal figure in your life, and you develop some sort of relationship to that, uh, maybe a respect for that, uh, a trust in that, uh, a bond in that. And you build that relationship externally, but also internally to your own authority. So you know what's best for you. Right? And the sun is teaching us how to do that because where the sun is placed, it's going to show you that maybe there are some challenges to that. Maybe there's some obstacles to that, or maybe there is some great support to that, that you'll naturally embody authority and body power. Or maybe you'll have conflict and power struggles with authority figures. And wherever the sun is at, it's teaching you to basically step into your own power and authority. Now the sun, if it's weak in your chart or negatively expressing, you'll have a lack of confidence. You'll question yourself, you'll doubt yourself, you have low self-esteem, low self-respect, and then start to show up as uh, you know, disrespect of others, disrespect of authority figures, acting out and things like that. And it could also have weak digestion because the sun rules the agni, the digestive fire, and poor circulation, and it can have a tendency towards being cold. Right, the opposite of the heat, the fire of the sun. Now, when the sun is more positively expressing, that's when you're going to have a lot of confidence and speak in an authoritative manner. Uh, you're going to just feel like able to express yourself and able to step into your power. And to an extreme, again, if this this is more of a weakness, but you get too much of that confidence, and you start to get uh, arrogant and angry and aggressive and things like that. So to balance this out, to work with the sun, to strengthen the sun, things that activate and warm the body and build digestive fire, agni in the body, like uh, following an Ayurvedic diet, doing hatha yoga practices to strengthen the sun, like sun salutations, or practicing tapas, like discipline and some sort of practice. This all helps to uh, bring out the positive qualities of the sun. The moon, it's the lessons of the moon are to teach us to focus our mind and purify our minds and emotions. So say you have like uh, the moon and Rahu together in Gemini. Rahu's obsession, Gemini's dual natured. So the moon is there now. So your mind is likely going to be uh, obsessive, kind of all over the place, always thinking uh, this or that, uh, kind of taking both sides, getting confused and, and indecisive, maybe ambivalent. So the lesson, the moon is ultimately the lesson of having that karma to start there in your life, to have that in your birth chart, is to learn how to calm the mind and still the mind and focus the mind so it's not so obsessive and scattered. And that's ultimately really the lesson for everyone with the moon, to learn how to focus the mind and emotions and uh, develop relationship to all things maternal, including resolving issues with the mother, which most people I've met in my life have some sort of issues there and have to work on that. It's a, it's not just something that's very easy for everybody. Some people I've, I've met have people who do have really good karma there. But in general, uh, the moon is teaching us how to work with the, uh, the maternal energy, the mother, the actual mother, and the maternal energy in yourself. When the moon is negatively expressing, that's when we're going to have emotional instability, emotional outburst, uh, scattered mind, tendency towards anxiety, a fear of intimacy, uh, just sort of disconnected from friends. That's all going to be signs of a negatively expressed moon. 
And when the moon is more positively expressed, that's when we're going to have that ability to express emotions and love and, and have intimacy with others and have more emotional stability and mental stability, able to focus and harness the mind. The lessons of Mercury or Buddha in Sanskrit are to learn to manage our communication and our intellect for discrimination, right? So we're using our mind and intellect in service of our spiritual pursuits of our true self, of our Atman or inner true self. And we're using our expression as an expression of that inner true self. So when it's negatively expressed, the ego takes over. We might have lack of self-control. We might have poor self-expression, uh, communication issues, poor memory, uh, and a really vacillating and unfocused mind. Because similar to the moon, Mercury moves very fast relative to the Earth. So it represents things that move quickly for us. And again, it can have that sort of uh, dissipating, unfocused energy and that effect on the intellect. And when it's positively expressed, we have strong communication, we have a, a mental sort of agility, and we have this sort of ability to be quick and clever and witty and charming and just immediately present with whatever situation arises. And things, practices that have those qualities that require us to be agile and think on our feet are great ways to strengthen Mercury as well. Venus, or Shukra in Sanskrit, teaches us to appreciate the pleasures of the senses of being a human and enjoy the beauty of art and experiences and everything that life has to offer and to experience love. Right? So wherever it is, it's teaching us to develop and build our appreciation and love in those areas of our lives. When it's weak, we might have uh, high standards and we might be overly critical of ourselves and others and find it difficult to open our hearts to others and open our hearts in general. And we might not see the beauty in things. We might be cynical and not appreciate the things that we do have. And like I've always thought, and this is a life-changing thought for me of what I appreciate, appreciates in value over time. So that's one of the lessons of Venus, to learn to appreciate what we have uh, and what we have appreciates in value. And uh, when it's positively expressed, right? So just like I said, things appreciate in value. We, we appreciate the beauty around us and then more beauty comes. We get to see and experience more beautiful experiences in life. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be new experiences. It could just be more appreciation for the experiences we have. Our heart opens. We expand in love and connection and, and expression and art. And someone with a strong Venus is likely going to be into creative arts and highly sensual and really enjoy sensual things like food and smells and tastes and touches and might enjoy really good music, things like that, and, and drawing mandalas, right? expressions of art and beauty. Mars or Mangala teaches us how to use our physical energy and service of our Dharma, of our Atman, our true self, our purpose. So we use our physical energy and power to support our purpose and support others and ultimately in service to others and not just to competitiveness and brashness and being controlling and egoic. When Mars is weak, we might have a lack of a energy to do anything. We might be apathetic, we might be uh, fatigued and have things like adrenal fatigue, lack of motivation, lack of energy, be more passive and timid and afraid 
and self-doubting. When Mars is positively expressed though, that's where you see someone who's like a martial artist with beauty and grace, like someone like Bruce Lee who had a lot of power and finesse and expression through his body and through a martial art and Mars representing war. It's a great way to express the warrior energy of Mars through a martial art. So if it's positively expressed, then someone is likely going to be more active and vigorous and have uh, strong fitness and strong positive expression of the pitta dosha, fire, and be very focused and active. Jupiter or guru in Sanskrit, the word guru, that teaches us all about our spiritual beliefs and philosophies and finding beliefs that are in alignment with us and living in alignment with those beliefs. When this is negatively expressed, we might just be sort of disconnected from any sort of spiritual beliefs, apathetic, uh, feel unappreciated, feel unhappy, feel there's like a lack of joy and a sort of bitterness, a scarcity mindset with Jupiter, because Jupiter is about expansion, but it's weak, so there's an opposite, there's a scarcity mindset. And there's just a general unhappiness, because Jupiter generally represents like happy, sort of free, carefree kind of attitude, very uh, uh, expansive and outgoing, but when it's weak, it's the opposite of this. The positive expression of Jupiter is that you're going to have great fortune, a, lot, a strong faith in a higher belief, and you act by faith and you are in alignment with your beliefs. Uh, it's the, Jupiter is about purity or sattva as opposed to tamas or rajas, which are more dull or active. The sattva is more like a clear, focused, direct, and uh, there's a luminosity and there's a brightness. So it's people with a strong Jupiter, they, they're sort of big and outgoing and uh, just feel good to be around, like happy people, positive people, very optimistic, positive expressions of Jupiter. Saturn, or Shani in Sanskrit, teaches us all about responsibility and discipline and that great things come with patience and time and hard work. When Saturn is weak, we may have a lack of commitment and discipline and find it difficult to maintain a regular practice, uh, yoga, meditation, and you have a hard time uh, avoiding the instant gratification. Things like just scrolling through Instagram and social media, and you have a hard time reaching long-lasting rewards because the Saturn is weak. And when it's strong, though, when it's positively expressed, you're going to have a strong discipline. You're able to persist and work through challenges. And as I mentioned in the Saturn episode, that, that phrase I saw that stuck with me, there's no substitute for hard work. And Saturn teaches us that. It's, if you want great rewards, you've got to put in the time and patience and effort and discipline and uh, just hard work to get there. The lesson of Rahu Again, this disembodied head that's obsessive about everything is to teach us to detach from the mind strong desires so that we can catch those obsessions when they come up and not get sort of sucked into them. They're just bottomless obsessions like Rahu, just never ending. Uh, in, uh, in Buddhism, there's the idea of the hungry ghost, like you're just constantly eating, but there's no stomach to actually fill. Right, so Rahu teaches us to stop trying to fill those bottomless pits. 
when it's negatively expressed, that's when we become very hypersensitive, moody, uh, prone to fantasies, obsessive about things. Uh, we get controlling about those obsessions like I have to do this I have to learn about this I have to do that and it becomes a big sort of barrier to connection and intimacy with others because we're obsessed with those things it can be materialism it can be it depends where Rahu is in your chart and that area if you look at your chart and see where Rahu is that's the area you're going to have obsession it could be about health could be about relationships could be about work but it becomes an unhealthy obsession when it's positively expressed though then you have a healthy obsession. And, and Apple, the, I saw this ad or some interview with uh, Tim Cook a while ago, a couple years ago, he talked about their, I think they said, magnificent obsession that they had with a certain product they're making. And you know, I think that you know, that's probably a more positive expression. You know, I don't know exactly what their inner workings are like, but I think having something that you're positively obsessed about, where you put in dedicated, consistent work and attention and focus, which could be your health or relationships or career or any area of your life, wherever Rahu is placed, it's teaching you to have this positive expression where you, you definitely uh, care about it, you think about it, you put your best effort into it, and you give your time and attention to it, and then you're also able to let it go and you don't become addicted to these things that are pulling for your attention. You don't get sucked into these constant material needs of maybe needing to buy more and more stuff. You're able to let it go. You're able to fully commit when you're there and be fully into it all in and then able to turn off when you need to go home, relax, rest, whatever, recharge. And K2 is kind of the opposite where Rahu teaches us to have healthy obsession about the things that matter to us. K2 teaches us to have a healthy detachment from also from things that matter to us. Uh, but when the negative expression comes in, it could be that we are avoiding uh, those things. But I'll start again with the lesson. The teaching of K2 is really to have a healthy detachment from things in our lives and to really have a healthy detachment from our ego and our identity. So ego, not the worst thing. We do want to have a healthy ego, a healthy expression of self. We also want to have a healthy detachment from that ego and that's what K2 teaches us to do. And when K2 is weak, not fully expressed, when it's negatively expressed, then we're going to have more uh, psychological disturbances, intense feelings, we're going to have maybe illusions. Dis we're going to be disillusioned often because maybe we think things are going to go one way and we have this fantasy about it, but reality goes a different way. And we're going to just maybe be avoidant and disconnected from things and have an unhealthy detachment from them. When it's positively expressed, then we have this healthy spiritual this spiritual detachment from things. So maybe you go to a temple or you just have a meditation cushion that you go to regularly to sort of reset and get perspective on things. Or you go to a foreign land or you go on vacations or sabbaticals or pilgrimages. And this is where you get to express K2 in a really healthy way, being in foreign lands and different places outside of the norm, outside of where you grew up to get that perspective, to find yourself more fully. Uh, K2 needs to uh, journey out and go beyond the homeland to find, to help you find yourself, to really find your connection to your true self. 
and it doesn't have to actually be physically traveling away. You could live in the same place your whole life, but it could be journeying uh, to that sort of perspective through a meditation practice or a spiritual practice or a spiritual teacher. So that's what K2 positively expresses. We have that healthy detachment. And with that, it's time to healthily detach from this episode of the podcast. Hope you found this helpful. And again, if you haven't downloaded that sheet, it's going to be super helpful for you to understand and integrate all these lessons. Go to quietmind.yoga slash astrology to get it. And next week, we start a new season, season three of the Quiet Mind Astrology podcast, all about the houses. So these are sort of setting the stage for the planets to come in and have their impact. So I'm going to give you an overview of what the 12 houses are, what the house system is, what it means, like why is there 12 houses, what does each house mean, and give you an overview so you start to understand what are the houses. So it's going to cover every area of your life. It's going to be very in-depth, similar to the 12 signs of the zodiac, but now we're getting a little more specific and a little more so we get these these are the three main components that we look at here so we got the signs the planets then the houses and that's like the sort of groundwork the essentials of reading a chart so you're definitely going to want to understand what the houses mean where the, so this is to show you where the signs and planets land in your chart and that makes all the difference especially when you're looking at transits that's where you get really in depth to know exactly what's affecting what area of your life right now and if you want to schedule a reading to learn more about that yourself in your specific chart go to quietmind.yoga/astrology to schedule a reading and I look forward to sharing with you next week on season 3 of the Quiet Mind Astrology podcast <laughs>